Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we got just an extraordinary political brain, somebody who knows the ins and outs of what's going on in the states that really matter. And we're going to talk with him and delve deeper into some of those states today. But Fred Hicks, what's going on, man? How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling pretty good, baby. It's all good. hundred days to, or so to the election. So life is good. Man, what type of shirt you got on over there? That's what I want to know. Oh, man, it's the only HBCU in the land, the best band in the land for MU, FAMU, Rattler, Strike, Strike, and Strike again. If you, to, if you want to a really good private HBCU, so I'll give you, give you props for that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, for a public institution, y'all ain't bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> we try to hold it down. We try to hold it down. <laughs> Look, we start each one of our conversations by having our guests walk us through the arc of your career. And you've been a professor, a consultant. You've done various state and local campaigns for years in Florida and Georgia. Talk us through the arc of your career and how you got into politics. Absolutely. You know, I was very fortunate growing up that both of my parents were very, um, were very political. My dad was from Shreveport, Louisiana. My mom from Southwest Georgia. And so my mom was uh, both were in the military. My mom was actually my dad's nurse when he came back from Vietnam. And, um, and then she enlisted. My dad was more of a stay at home. And so my dad was extremely political, so he took my brother and me to all kinds of things. He was the first black um, president of the Lions Club in Fairbanks, and so Fairbanks, Alaska, where I went to high school. And so, you know, politics and the love for politics has always been in my blood. You know, for those of us who can remember when you only had a few channels on TV, man, you know, you had to, um, we had to sit down and watch 60 Minutes every Sunday. So anyway, I, um, in high school, was in student, involved in student government went to undergrad and uh, was student body president and was involved with a lot of political stuff here in Georgia. Then I went to a little school called Clayton State uh, for undergrad, continued okay. on, went down to grad school. Yeah, went to grad school down in Florida, um, at Florida State and started teaching at FAMU and just uh, all the while being involved in politics one way or another, volunteered on the Gore campaign in 2000 in Tennessee. But then um, in 2006, I had a, an aha moment. And that was, you know, as a person who's, I'm a demographer by training, right? So my master's in international affairs and demography, all my doc stuff is in testing measurement analysis. I'm a data guy. And I used to do work for FEMA. And after doing, building a model to predict where survivors were going to migrate after Hurricane Katrina, I went to my dissertation chair and said, if I can predict or asked if I can predict vote, um, where survivors are going to migrate, can I predict voter behavior? Mm. I said, yeah. And so this is in 2006, this is pre-Obama, this is before big data, this is before we called it analytics and all of that. And so grabbed a few buddies of mine from across the state and we launched the company, really as being, uh, with a, uh, being a, a data kind of data-centered company, building models, again, doing predictive analytics back in 06. Um, it took a few years for it to take off. Um, it didn't take off in Florida initially, actually. I had to go up to Georgia and start doing work uh, with small municipal races and then in 2008, nine, I met your Morehouse guy, um, Cesar Mitchell, and I was his chief, chief strategist and ran that campaign for city council president. And then I just kind of opened up the doors from there. And so since then, we've been involved with more than 300 campaigns at all levels, uh, federal, statewide, local, county, all over the country, from literally from coast to coast um, and from north to south. And it's just been a really a tremendous run and really enjoyed it. So what's keeping you busy now? I mean, uh, what keeps you going in this business that burns so many people out? Yeah, you know, politics is my ministry. I say that all the time. This mm. is my way that I can that I make a difference in the world. We're at the point now where we get to be selective with our clients, and I get to work with people who I feel are, are running for the right reasons. And so when I see things like 
my one of my sheriffs ending the 287G program as soon as he's in office. The the where, the program where uh, local law enforcement was empowered or required to do raids and and uh, a search for for undocumented persons. When I saw him do that, that made me feel really good. When my district attorney and my and my chief judge uh, in DeKalb County got together and found out there was a man who was wrongly incarcerated and had been so for 19 years, and they were able to apply the new law, and he was able to get out right before Thanksgiving with his family for the first time, unexpectedly, just because they, the case was brought to them from the Southern Poverty Law Center. They thought this was wrong. The judge and the DA, both of whom I helped get elect, uh, helped elect uh, got together, and that man went free. That was rewarding to me. And so just really as I look around, um, being able to work with people who are able to make a difference in lives is what keeps me going. I want to take a deep dive with you into the landscape for 2022 because you're starting to see some trend lines and you're starting to see some really weird shit down in Georgia. Um, But I want to start with Bryant Kemp because so much attention nationally is on Herschel Walker. And I think we should be keeping an eye on Kemp more so than anything else where he goes, the ball kind of goes. He destroyed Purdue in his primary and beat Donald Trump as well. Many people believe he has the edge on Stacey this cycle. Why is Bryant Kemp as strong as he is? with both Republican and independent leaning voters, as well as some Democratic black men to just be blunt about it. Absolutely. You know, going back to his time when he ran for governor four years ago, he actually ran one of the best campaigns. I'm not saying I agreed with his or agree with his ideology, but just from a tactical perspective, um, he understood something that Democrats really in Georgia struggle to understand. And that is that there's Atlanta and then there's Georgia. And so, he started his campaign outside of Metro Atlanta, down in South Georgia, and locked down the corners of the state, and then moved into the Atlanta to the Atlanta market at the end. Um, he did that again in his pri- in his primary this year in 2022, and he's doing it again now in the general election. So whereas you see, you know, Democrats are focusing so intensely on the metropolitan areas around Atlanta and Savannah to to a far lesser extent, and then even a, even a lesser extent than that, Macon and Columbus. Um, you know, the governor has focused on the outside of Georgia. But I'll tell you, you know, when you spend time outside of Atlanta, Bakar, and you know that she went to school here, you know, when you get outside of Atlanta, you see a whole different face to Georgia. Oh, it's just different. And, yeah, it's always different. And the issues are different. Um, and I mean, the, the way I look at Atlanta from a political, and you can, I mean, the way I look at Georgia from a political perspective, and of course, please push back and tell me if I'm wrong, but for Democrats, I see uh, Savannah, I see Atlanta, and I see Richmond County, which is Augusta. Yeah, you still have Columbus, which is a big, uh, big opportunity there. So yeah, making Columbus, your big sort of nodes of Democratic votes are Metro Atlanta, like you said, Columbus, uh, well, Columbus, Macon, um, Savannah, Augusta, and then you have little smaller ones like Albany here and there. Uh, but what you're seeing in the, in the state in rural Georgia, you're seeing local Democrats being elected in small towns in South Georgia, but that's not translating when you look at the statewide uh, statewide candidates. And I think that's because the statewide candidates really are Atlanta-based, Atlanta-centered. And so, again, whereas the governor is different. So that, that that's the tactical side of it. I think from a, from a policy perspective, um, it looks right now like the governor's made a couple of very smart bets, and that is that... Um, the economy would rule the day, right? And so with him talking a lot about, hey, um, I open the economy back up, I invest in small businesses, I put you back to work, I put money in your pocket, I kept the economy afloat, that's resonating with people. And I think the other part to that is that he has 
um, when, when you when you when you look at Florida and you look at Ron DeSantis, what he's doing down there, and you look at some of the other Republican governors across the Southeast, eh, Brian Kemp isn't as bad. So it's a relative scale, right? Um, he doesn't do. He's not out there doing the kind of don't say gay bill that 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 Ron DeSantis is pushing or. Or um, you know the kinds of crazy stuff they're trying to do in North Carolina and other places across the Southeast. So you look at it in a, in a relative scale, and really, the people feel like, yeah, he's not so bad. Let me ask you this question: well, Given what we know about Brian Kemp, what does Stacey have to do to chip away at his strength? So the first thing she's got to do is she's got to lock down Democratic support. And right now, um, I think she's struggling with black men. I think she's struggling with other. Why is that? Men. I mean, let's. I mean, let's. I mean, I, you know, you see some people like the killer mics of the world and the T.I.s of the world and some others who I'm not saying they support Brian Kemp, but they seem to be more um, um, willing to listen to his message. Let's let's take away the word misogyny, because I do think that has some things to play with it. But what 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 is Kemp doing to speak to these black men? Well, I think it's more about what Stacey has not done historically, and that is she's just now across two campaigns. She's just now starting to do outreach to black men. She had a listening stop mm. last week. She had a. She's had two or three events um, all in the last month or so. And if you think about think about it in terms of running for the last five years for this position, to just now start turning your attention and talking about and talking to black men directly is, is an issue. Um, so I think it's more about that. Whereas the governor um, makes a point of going to every event that he possibly can. Um, if you invite him, he'll show up, whether it's black, whether it's white, or you know Hispanic or whatever. And so I think that I think it's that you know Bakari. And to all, all the listeners of this podcast, one of the things you want everyone to take away is that you got to talk to people. You can't assume the vote. I think, and we have black folks, especially in the post-Obama era, we want someone, regardless of who they are, to talk to us and to explain their positions and not just assume the vote. And I think that Stacey has assumed the vote because she did so well last time. Uh, but you look, Trump did really well with black men, um, even in 2020, relatively speaking. And so she's got to do some work there. So that's number one. I think number two, what to answer your other question, what the governor has done um, is just the flip side of that coin. He has been, number one, he's appointed more black women to the bench than any other governor in Georgia's history. And, uh, yeah. And, I, and I'm not, I'm not, I want to be clear to one listening. I'm not saying go vote Brian Kemp at all. We're just having a conversation. Um, and I, and this, I think, will lead to something else later on in this conversation. I believe that he's going to use that down the stretch as a closing argument. He's going to show the faces of all the different um, black women he's appointed to the bench. He also appointed here in DeKalb County, where my office is, uh, he appointed the first ever Latina to the bench. And so he's been very deliberate. Um, he's, he's been um, he's been a friend to to the HBCUs and working with the HBCUs um, in the state. He and, he and um, Representative Smiley pull together some work for so again for some money for HBCUs and he's he hasn't stood in the way of that kind of thing. So again when you look at what other governors have done, um, I think that and are doing, I think there's that. And then there's also seems to be a general appreciation in Georgia for people who stood up to Trump. Now I would say, I think you would say that listen, he did his job. The election was not stolen. You're doing what you're supposed to do. Why? Why do you get kudos for that? But that's where the American politics right now, right? We get all excited. Yay! Someone. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. 
Viore Clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Did their job. <laughs> Man, we, we love that. And we, reward, we, reward, we reward that. And, um, and I don't think there's anything special about what he did. But when we talk about the election, and we stop and really think about this thing nationally, there are probably 10, 15 people, and I'm counting that, that board in Michigan. I don't know how many people are on that board, but all about 15 people stood up to Trump and saved this country from going, going into a whole other direction. And so I think um, there's a general sort of appreciation for that. So what does Stacey have to do? She's got to talk to black folks. She's got to be more, I think, more aggressive. And she has to, uh, she has to bring up his record. Listen, um, hospitals are closing left and right throughout rural Georgia. People do not have access to health care. So when we talk about expanding Medicaid, that doesn't really mean anything to people. It's, it's too amorphous. She's got to talk in plain language. She's got to say, I'm going to reopen these hospitals throughout Georgia so that you don't have to wait 45 minutes for an ambulance to get to you and then take you an hour away to a hospital. You're going to be dead by the time that happens. So I think there's plain language and, and exposing his record, reminding people of what he's done. Don't let him get away with, with dictating the narrative. Um, and so, and I think they haven't, they haven't done that yet. I mean, remind people that he sued Mayor Bottoms when she tried to protect the citizens from this, uh, of Atlanta. Remind Atlanta, remind Georgians that with all this gun violence, in the face of all this gun violence, he passed and pushed this guns anywhere bill, let's carry, right? So there's these kinds of things, I think she has to do it now because people are starting to settle in and make up their minds and the longer she waits to do it, the harder it's going to be and the more expensive it's going to be to, to convince people otherwise. Let me ask you this question. Um, you know, compare 2018 and 2022, Abrams' campaign, because from afar, we all felt the energy in 2018 and we all saw the focus on infrequence, like infrequent voters, and there was a lot of energy, but I don't see the same thing in 2022. Am I missing something? Are we seeing work behind the scenes and on the ground that's not breaking through? What or did she just have lightning in a bottle a lot like Barack Obama did in 08 that he didn't even have in 2012, which he readily admits? Yeah, you know, it feels more like the latter. Um, and you're right. Everyone is kind of talking about that. It doesn't have the same energy that it had. Uh, then her commercials don't have the same energy. The campaign doesn't seem to have the same energy. And I'm not, I don't wanna, I'm not speaking disparagingly at all. Um, this is just, you know, relaying 
what people are saying. And so she's going to have to figure out a way to do it. Now, that, that might honestly be because the national environment is so different. Right. You know, in 2018, you know, America was having experiencing buyers more. It's like, oh, whoa, this guy really won. And this guy is really bad in Donald Trump. Right. And now Donald Trump is gone. The economy is struggling. Um, you know, there's a debate about whether or not we're in recession. People are unhappy with the Democrats in D.C. and their ability to move things forward. So I think there's just a different the national mood is different. And so the statewide mood is different. And so. You know, it's, a little, it's very difficult to get back to that place. And I think she's going to have to find a different, um, a different thing. And, and again, you know, Brian Kemp is not Donald Trump, and that makes it that makes more makes much it, more difficult. For and him. speaking of that, let's let me ask this question: um, If Kemp were to win, is he a legitimate Republican contender in a primary without Donald Trump? Oh, uh, if you you talk about for the presidency in twenty four right. or something. Yeah, you know, I haven't heard him in any in any conversations express that again, unlike Ron DeSantis. Uh, but I think that he could. I think he very well could be if he if he if he wanted that. Um, you know, Southern governor, super strong economy. Um, he has all his Republican bona fides in place. I think he could be if he wanted to be. Uh, again, I don't know if that's his aspiration. But yeah, if he clears this hurdle, if he basically he would have defeated Donald Trump in the primary and beat Stacey Abrams in the general. Um, yeah, I think he can make a strong argument uh, with or without Donald Trump to be a, a to be a contender in 24. Let's shift to the Senate race. We're seeing Warnock, unsurprisingly, um, kind of outperform Biden and Abrams. Mm -hmm. um, how much of this is Warnock being a good candidate versus Herschel Walker being a horrible candidate? And should Warnock and Abrams want Biden and Harris campaigning with them in Georgia ever thought? Oh, boy. Good questions. Great questions. So the first one, I think that Warnock is just a really strong candidate, first and foremost. Secondly, I think he's a reflection of Georgia. He's not from Atlanta, right? He's from Savannah, um, but he spent a lot of time in Atlanta. And then um, I think one of, the, one of the smartest things they're doing, they're, they're running a great campaign, is they don't really talk about him as Senator Warnock. The title they use, even in his commercials, is Reverend Warnock. And, you know, again, we, we, we accept that outside of Atlanta is very, it's Georgia, then that plays very well. Um, I was in Vidalia, which is in middle Georgia, a couple months ago and talking to some folks who had Trump flags, Trump flags, um, waving in their, in, their, in their front door and, and all that, some farmers. And they were like, yeah, you know, I'm a Trumper, but that Warnock isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'm okay with him. So you have you have that he's running a brilliant campaign. You have the fact that he's a reverend. You have the fact that he understands outside of, of um, Atlanta. I think also, you know, he has, he has a little bit of a halo effect still going on from the big win um, last year. And I think that people, Republicans painted him with such a broad and ugly brush that. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like, me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. 
Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. People are now like, well, he's not what they said that they said he was. Or he's right. not, he's yeah. not what he said he was. So that's been very beneficial. Uh, and then you add to it, Herschel Walker is quite possibly the worst Senate candidate um, in the state or, for the, or in the country right now for Republicans. And that's saying something when you talk about Dr. Oz and J.D. Vance and other people like that across the country. But Herschel Walker... Um, is making it very difficult. And as a matter of fact, on the last poll that came out a week or so ago from the AJC, you see that there's about a 10-point gap in support amongst Republicans between Brian Kemp at 93% and Herschel Walker at 83%. And so mm-hmm. I think what you're seeing with, um, you know, Democrats are in lockstep around behind Warnock. That's number one, I think. And number two, you have a number of Republicans who I'm not saying they're going to vote for Reverend Warnock, but they're not interested in voting for Herschel Walker. And that's still a plus for, for Senator Warnock. So that you have that factor going on as well. Now, should they want them campaigning with them? Absolutely not. I think that the lesson we should all take from Brian Kemp's primary run is that Georgia's really respond to people who are focused on Georgia. And so I describe his primary, the governor's primary campaign as Georgia first. And I think that Senator Warnock um, should definitely want to do the same thing, right? Avoid national conversation, any ties to national stuff, and really focus on Georgia and how he's delivering. Who the fuck is a Warnock Kemp voter. <laughs> I think of it as a not Walker, but Brian Kemp voter, as opposed to a we're not Kemp voter. Because right? uh, again, you know, you have people who I think are going to skip the Senate election. They're not going to vote against we're not, but they're not going to vote for states. They're going to vote for, for Brian Kemp. Um, there's a little thing that I call a campaign math, Bakari. And it's, it goes like mm-hmm. you ran for office. And so you, you, it'll, make, you, you, it'll make a lot of sense to you. Um, and this is basically arithmetic. Right. If someone, if you and I are running against one another and there's a, I have a four vote lead or you have a four vote lead on me and four of those people, you're counting like, okay, I know these, these votes going to come in. And if two of those people decide, ah, they get sick or whatever and they don't vote. Well, now your gap is only two, right? So you lost two votes. If two of those people decide to leave you and vote for me, that's a net four. So now we're tied. So if you had a four-vote lead, you thought that you you thought you had a four-vote four lead on me, and two of your people flipped to me, 
Now we both have, we, we have two of them, two of those, so we're tied. And so people always think about campaigns in terms of trying to, can you flip a voter from the other party? Can you flip someone who's an independent? The first thing you want to do is do no harm, right? Give your, suppress your opponent's support. So get people to stay home and sit and sit out that election. And Senator Warnock has done a great job of that. He's not inflaming any Republican tensions, right? They're like, ah, he's fine. Or to quote, you know, Barack Obama in the 2008 debate, you know, he's, he's likable enough, right? So yeah, you have that, right? And then he's also managed to do number two, which is to excite your base. And actually we'll flip that. Number one is excite your base. Number two is do no harm. And so Democrats understand his importance in the Senate. He has, uh, he's taken the right positions. Uh, so Dem- Democratic voters are happy with him and Republican voters aren't afraid of him. Now for Republican voters to not be afraid of a black man, that's saying something. But somehow or another, you know, he's managed to do that. I think it's the, the, the puppies, it's being a reverend, it's his ability to do, you know, to make fun of himself, you know, on TV, things like that. But that, that's really been the magic of his, of his campaign. Does Herschel Walker, does Herschel Walker agree to a debate? And if he does, does that seal his fate? It does seal his fate if he does it. And I think that's why he's been dancing around it, right? Um, so, oh, yeah, I'll debate sort of. Uh, no, I won't. Um, listen, you know, you got a football player versus a reverend. All right. Let's put those two, just take away everything else we know. That's not a winning proposition, generally speaking, for the football player, right? Uh, but then when you add into it and everything else, yeah, I think it would definitely seal his fate. Uh, he, but he's going to have to debate. He's going to have to do at least one. Let me ask you this. Before we get to Florida, we only have a couple of questions in Florida because I know you're the Georgia expert. But what down ballot yeah, races sure. are you watching? Are you watching in Georgia? And how important is it for America that B win the secretary of state with uh, I hope I pronounced his last name right um, with 2024 looming? So Georgia this year, I think most of the down ballot races are, are really interesting. So I'll, I'll start with B that you mentioned. She's running for Secretary of State. She's a good friend. Um, I think it's hugely, I think it's very important. Number one, just the symbolism of being the first Asian American woman to to have a statewide nomination in Georgia is huge. Um, I think what she would symbolize in terms of Georgia's progress or as a progressive state, uh, I think is tremendous. But then also, Listen, you know, Brad Raffensperger, again, he did his job. He didn't do anything special with Donald Trump. He did his job. Thank you. But he's also, um, you know, he, he, he's been lagging in a lot of areas. So I think having someone like B in there who's a progressive who, even though she hasn't talked about it a lot, she has a huge, a huge piece of her platform is around business development, uh, reducing the red tape, getting minorities um, involved in government business, government contracting, things of that nature. Uh, so I think it's really, really important for her to be on there. The other races I'm watching, um, I think Lieutenant Governor's race is interesting because the Republican, Burt Jones, is the only Trump-supported person in the statewide elections who made it out of the primary. Um, and so that's going to be interesting. Also, he was part of the fake elector scheme. And so what happens with that is going to be interesting to me. Um, I'm personally invested in and watching and supporting uh, your spellhouse um girl, Alicia Thomas Searcy, who's running for state superintendent of schools. Um, I now, said, is that Alicia Thomas Morgan? Used to be Morgan, right. But so it's just, oh, so the former state representative from Cobb County. Yes. Yep. 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 Former state representative from Cobb she, County. She made, a, she made her um, name, but I didn't know that was the same. I mean, I should have known. I haven't been paying attention that well, I guess, but she made mm-hmm. her no, name known because she won in like 96% white Cobb County in a state house district. 
Yeah. So when she won back was, I think it was 2000, 2001, she was 23. So the youngest in the house at the time, and she was the first black elected to represent Cobb County in the history. Well, at least since reconstruction. And so, yeah, so she was a strong force, was there until 2014, ran for state superintendent of schools, then lost. She came back this time and won and ran and won the primary with 58% of the vote in a field of five. And so I think that her race is going to be really important. Uh, she's a school choice advocate. And so I think that'll be interesting to see where George is. And she has the ability, because of that position, being, being pro-school choice, I think she has the ability to pull Republican votes as well as solid Democratic votes. So listen, I had this conversation with someone yesterday, you know, and to, to us Democrats, people are like, oh, school choice is evil. I mean, listen, there are public charters, private charters, and you have vouchers, and people need to kind of understand the differences between them. But coming out of COVID, I think what we're seeing is that people, parents, really just want a school, school system that's going to work for their kids. Here, whatever it is, right? And so Alicia can speak to that. So I'm deeply interested in that one. Um, also because of the school safety issue and the whole discussion around do we arm teachers or not and things like that. So I think in any other year, the superintendent of schools race might be pretty dull. I think this year it has the opportunity to be really, really interesting. So I'm watching that. And I'm also watching the Public Service Commission race. So here in Georgia, the Public Service Commission dictates or they set utility rates. They determine broadband access throughout the state and a whole host of things. That is the pocketbook position in Georgia. And so more than any other position, that position impacts how people's uh, personal finances move, right? So again, you know, whether or not you, you know, Georgia Power is going to get a, granted a utility rate increase, are we going to put broadband in Valdosta and things like that? Those are all under the purview of the Public Service Commission. So uh, those are the, outside of outside of the big ones, the big ticket ones, those are the ones that I'm, I'm, I'm really, personally really uh, interested in. That's Secretary of State, um, Lieutenant Governor, Superintendent of Schools, and Public Service Commission on the state lines. So you're also a Florida guy. You got that ugly green shirt on. But who, <laughs> who comes out of the Florida gubernatorial primary to run against DeSantis? I'm here supporting Nikki Free, but we know she's an underdog. But she's an underdog. Andrew Gillum yeah. was an underdog, and he kind of caught that last win, you know, that wind underneath his sails. We've seen that a lot in Florida, but is it who wins this race, Christopher Free? You know, that's, that's a great one. I have friends on both sides. You know, like you, I personally am a, a Nikki Freed supporter of my family, and I will be will be voting for her. Um, you know, I love her. I love how tenacious she is about it and that she doesn't come at it from the angle of this is her right. She's working for it, and I love that. Um, I voted for Charlie Crist when he ran, when he was a nominee before, so I have voted for him, but I feel like, um, you know, his time is... You know, it's time for someone else on the stage. I wish he'd stayed in Congress. Um, I don't think that he has the ability to beat Ron DeSantis. I think that Nikki Free can bring some of the things that Andrew brought and that, you know, if you remember back to the debates, that he wasn't afraid of, uh, of Ron DeSantis. He went at him. And I think Nikki would do that. I think that, you know, Nikki's already won statewide um, as a Democrat, which Charlie has not done. First, first, first one since 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that uh, I think our position on, you know, legalization um, is very well, legalization and also um, expunging records of people who have who've been incarcerated for for marijuana. Right. So you can't have, that. That's something that bothers me to, to no end that. Listen, if you're going to be if you're going to be pro legalization, you have to also be pro uh, reform for those people who have. Mm -hmm. to it, right. And so I think there's two parts to that, and Nikki's gotten that. And then, you know, lastly, because I think you and I were both down 
down um, with the, the Black Caucus down there a couple of months ago. And what I loved about it, number one, Nikki showed up, Charlie Chris didn't, that was important. Uh, but then number two, you know, we were talking, I, I led a, a plenary session talking about black men and black male engagement. And, you know, she entered, she came and sat down and she listened to it and she, you know, it was actually, she took it to heart and she's like, I realized I've made a lot of assumptions about what black men want um, and I need y'all's help. And so I don't think it, it didn't feel like it was a sort of a political thing. It was very genuine, which is the last piece of it. She's a very genuine person and I don't know her that well. Um, actually, that that visit back in May was the first time that she and I really had a chance to talk. But um, but I, I I'm I'm a fan, and you know we'll be voting for her as well. My family. Now, does Val Demings have a chance? No, I think that no, I think that Charlie Chris will probably just looking at all the polling as it stands right now. You know, I think that Charlie Chris will probably win that nomination. Back in 2018 with Andrew, and you know this, um, you know we had to. We first we got the Bernie Sanders endorsement, and that took us from fifth to third. But he was the only black candidate, uh, the only minority candidate in that Democratic primary, and so you know he was able to to ride that a little bit. But um, he also was very aggressive. He had a multi-candidate field, and in Florida, unlike Georgia, you don't have runoffs in Florida. It's whoever gets the most votes is there. That's a that's a very different calculus than when I'm doing campaigns in Georgia. Where you know you're just trying to be end up making the top two and then get to a runoff is a whole new day. And so in Andrew's case in 2018, having four or five people in the race, all we had to do our goal was 35%. And we get to 30, we got to 35%, we'd win right in the primary. We were, we were right there. In Nikki's case, with it's pretty much straight up, she's has to, in a Nikki Crest race. You have you know whoever gets a 50 plus, and that's a much different, um, that's a much more expensive and that's a much more challenging proposition than to just be the be the top vote getter in a field of five. Does Val Demings win? I hope so. I hope so with everything in me. Um, you know, I looked at some polling the other day. It looks like the composite stuff shows they're about seven points behind. Um, listen, you know, and this your podcast, your, your, your podcast listeners are very intelligent, so I don't have to break this down. But this is a, when we talk about the Senate, we're talking about a national perspective right right now it's 50 50 and tiebreaker because of because of the vice president i think the when i say to democrats and, and people who really want to see more of the democratic party if you really 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 want to see more happen then you got to you got to hold and then we got to pick up two seats so you got to support warnock you got to support mark kelly over in arizona and then we got to pick up florida and one other place right so it can be ohio it can be pennsylvania whatever because we need to get to 52 that way, Jill Manchin and Krista Cinema are no longer a factor. Right? If those are the two people who are holding up the progress on the Biden agenda and what we want to see done, then we need two more votes in the Senate to make to make those two irrelevant. And I suspect that if we get those two votes, that those two will probably behave a little differently as well. Um, so I hope with everything in me that Val Demings is able to pull this off. I think she's an excellent uh, person. She's out of Central Florida on that I-4 corridor. Um, I think that she can be very strong, but... Well, Florida in 2020, historically, Florida has been about a one, one and a half point state, right? Difference. Uh, even with Andrew lost by 30,000 votes, Bill Nelson lost by 12,000 votes. Uh, but then in 2020, we saw that gap grow to a three point spread. And so I think for many folks nationally, Democrats, they've kind of written Florida off. And that's the last thing we need. We've got to make Florida competitive. We've got to invest in Florida and we got to get a win out of Florida. Florida's I can unique. be partisan on this podcast, right? I can be partisan. I can talk. I can yeah, yeah. My I, yeah, I'm, I'm partisan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I noticed, though, is in Florida, though, you can have an ag commissioner, a lieutenant governor, a governor, and a 
attorney general and all of them be women and three of them be women of color. So Florida does oh, wow. have a very, a very unique opportunity here. My last question for you today, because I'm enjoying this conversation. This is the type of conversation I love. But um, just briefly before I let you go and conclude by telling people how they can follow you and get your insights and stuff. Um, but but talk about the role of black men in this election and how important it is and how you court them and what the Democratic Party hasn't been doing that they need to do more of. Well, I'm glad you said that, Bakari, and I hope that we can enlist you um, with this. We're about to launch a group called Black Men Decide. Uh, so when I do the data analysis, not just in Georgia and Florida, but across the Southeast, what I see is that we can get black male voter turnout in an off-year election up to presidential levels, then we alone, we as black men, can influence and change the outcome of, of the statewide elections, whether you're talking about Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, those places like that. We gotta do a little bit more in your South Carolina, but we can we can make things uh, very, very interesting. And so we partnered up with a few folks. We're gonna, um, we're gonna launch and right after Labor Day and um, we have some some um, some big names who are lining up, uh, celebrity folks who wanna who wanna get on board with this, and one of the key components to this is that you know we're not talking about magic, we're not talking about black boy joy. There, there are going to be two major campaigns within within the under the black men decide umbrella. One is going to be called brother to brother, where we're asking black men across the country to call, text, email, and to our swing states. And then the other one's called sister to brother, where we're calling on our black women to take a black man that you love, whether it's your brother, whether it's your cousin, it's your mate, it's your coworker, some black man that you love and want to see do better, take him to take him to vote. And so, uh, so this is actually your listeners. No one has heard about this yet, so we haven't announced it. So this is breaking news here. I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna be a part of it. I love it. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. We partnered up with some with um, with the Urban League on doing this as well. Urban League of, of Greater Atlanta, uh, which is the statewide voice here. We've also partnered up with um, several pastors to do to execute this, and then some folks in the entertainment community. So even though it's called Black Men Decide, we are bringing black men and black women together to get every single black male voter to the polls this year. So um, we're, looking, we're working on the date right now for the first week after Labor Day, um, so that week of September 4th for the official, the official kickoff, but it's called Black Men Decide. Um, and we're really excited about it. We're going to take some of the stuff from the Tom Joyner, uh, take a loved one to, to the doctor day. That's, so we're basing on that. But this is going to be a real, real focus, intensive focus uh, down the stretch in Florida and Georgia to get uh, low propensity, well, lower to mid propensity black male voters out to vote. So if you voted in 2016 and you haven't voted since then, then I want you to come out and vote. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Hicks Report. That's H-I-C-K-S-R-E-P-O-R-T, Hicks Report. Or you can just follow me in the comments on some of Bakari's uh, crazy posts, and I, I, I'm there too. <laughs> I'm just Hicks Report. All right, be easy.